Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Analytive Podcast. Today for our guest, I have Brian Hanning. Brian is a lawyer specializing in business-related law. I asked Brian to come on the podcast for two reasons. Um, The first one is, as a business owner, I had questions about the many legal aspects of running a business. Brian was very, very gracious with his time, and I'm grateful for his ability to take very complex legal topics and explain them simply. Uh, If you're starting or running a small business, this is a great foundation to just get an understanding of kind of the legal system and how it relates to business. The second reason I wanted to have Brian on is I tend to get a lot of other questions from entrepreneurs about corporate formation, trademarks, and other business-related issues, and I'm by no means an expert. So selfishly, this interview with Brian is something that I hope to pass along to them to give them a good foundation into all of those legal topics. So here's the deal. If you're curious about forming an LLC, um, whether you should get a trademark, um, other general business legal questions, you should listen to this podcast. If nothing else, it'll give you a solid foundation that could potentially save you hours of time talking to a lawyer, which also tends to mean hundreds of dollars at their billable rate. So my goal is that this podcast will save you hundreds of dollars, quite literally. Uh, We're doing this episode in a two-part series. So in part one, we focus on corporate formation, talk about C-Corps, S-Corps, LLCs, uh, sole proprietorships, all that good stuff, types of legal entities, uh, and other kind of foundational formational information. We also briefly discuss trusts, and we do take a rabbit trail, a very interesting rabbit trail, I might add, into how people around the world um, are using shady tactics, right? Some of these shady tactics about the Panama Papers and such to hide business activity. We kind of go into not the legalities of it, but more the methodology that uh, a lot of criminals are using to hide their activity. Super interesting. In part two, we dive into IP protection, right? Intellectual property protection, trademarks, copyrights, uh, and other IP related issues. We talk about when you should and should not think about filing the various types of IP protection, as well as what you might expect to reasonably pay. So if you uh, have business legal needs, be sure to reach out to Brian. He can be found at thatdamnlawyer.com. Props for a great domain, Brian. And before we get started, I just have to say this is for informational purposes only. Uh, I am not a lawyer at all. Brian is a lawyer, a very good one, but he's not your lawyer unless you've already established a relationship with him. So yeah, so take everything we say here as informational. Um, If you do want to reach out to Brian for specific legal help for your situation, please do so at thatdamnlawyer.com. Otherwise, enjoy the podcast. All right, Brian, thank you for making some time today for coming on the Analytive Podcast. I'm uh, super excited. I think we're going to try and do two parts. So this will be part one of two. Um, Yeah, welcome. It's uh, great to be here. I love talking about the law. So anytime somebody (laughs) goes, hey, do you want to be on my podcast? Do you want to do a QA? and a Do you want to give a presentation? I go, you know, I'm really not. Yes, I would love to. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. So yeah, so for part one, I think what what makes the most sense is to really dig into um, sort of a business formation. You know, as as a business owner, I work with other uh, agencies. You know, we work from like really small businesses have clients all the way up to like big businesses. But the really small ones, a lot of times, will have a lot of questions about LLC, S corp, C corp, corporate formation. You know, what to think about, like, and so you know, as a lawyer, you've seen and worked with many different types of businesses. So uh, my hope is that you can kind of start out 
um, first of all, before I get into that, let me back up. Let's uh, give a little bit of your background. Um, take a few minutes to do that, and then we'll we'll jump in because I want to tackle the corporate formation stuff. So, Brian, who who are you? So, I'm Brian Hanning. I run Hanning Law Limited. You can find me online at thatdamnlawyer.com. And I've run my own law firm for about four and a half years. Uh, before that, I was with another law firm and uh, various government agencies as an intern. So I worked, you know, such illustrious places as the city of Fort Collins and uh, the licensing and regulatory authority of Michigan. So my when I went and started into my own law firm, I went back to my uh, roots, so to say, and yeah. I work with businesses, which is wonderful and somewhat uses my business degree from Colorado State. So yeah, awesome. That's the brief rundown of that. Uh, yeah. You know. So then what do you, uh, and I think this will get in, so you do a lot of stuff with businesses. So if you were to bullet point out the the main services you provide, or, and I think also just in general, the main services that like small businesses in general need to think about, what would those be? Yeah. So the, the legal technical terms are, we would look at formation, contracts, employment, and intellectual property. Um, when we're Dealing with that, what we're really talking about is relationships. Um, regardless of what the title of it is, is we're talking about protecting, setting up, and creating tools for relationships. So when we're forming a company, we're creating a relationship between an owner and a company. We're creating relationships between various owners. When we're talking about contracts, we're talking about relationships from uh, the customer to the company or the company to vendors. Um, with employment, again, it's a relationship of, sure. I need help with running this business that is amazing, so I need you to do X. Gotcha. Um, and intellectual property is, you know, I have this brand. It's how I connect with my customers. They, you know, they're buying my art or right. whatever. And we can get more into that next time. Yeah. Um, it's how they engage with you. You know, yeah. I, I never thought about the business law being all really about relationship stuff. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, that's everything it is, is mm -hmm. we're, even if we're just talking about formation as a concept, right? What we're doing is we're creating a piece of paper that is a person that relates to the owner and it relates to customers and it relates to other people. And we're setting it up in a way that protects all of those people, hmm. right? So think about, uh, do you remember the Ford Pinto or any of the stories around that? A little bit. Which which ones in particular? So the Ford Pinto was the car that would get rear-ended and explode. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the case study now. And it uh they there was a bunch of shenanigans and whatever, but essentially they were trying to create a warranty that protected the company from the customers uh, suing about 
blowing, being blown up because the sure. window is designed poorly. Um, well, it's that relationship of that warranty that then gets remade so that the so the courts now read warranties to protect the customers to a degree so that when a business isn't doing things correctly, the customer is protected from the business doing that thing incorrectly. Gotcha. Um, and we can, we can dive into that a bit more. Let's, let's take it up yeah. back to sort of like super high level. So, and I think one of the things you said that really is important and the key to this and that, you know, I learned in business school, but hadn't realized before is that when you form, you know, an entity, right. A, a company um, that is a legal entity, almost, you know, like you said, a person, right. It like it exists legally as something apart from the owners and everything else. Right. Yeah. So I, I used person kind of intentionally um, the citizens United Supreme court case really is one of the main cases identifying a business as having at least some rights of an individual. Gotcha. Typically, we will see in statute something like uh, individual entity, organization, trust, or other entity. Mm-hmm. Um, that's. I, I was answering a question for somebody about the public health order that just went in place. And that's the language in the statute is it's a whole list. But yeah, sure. it is this idea that we're creating that we're separating something from the owner to stand on its own and to have its own rights, duties, and liabilities. So that if something say goes well, it's the company that makes a million dollars, not the owner. Mm -hmm. That if something goes wrong, it's the company that has the insurance to pay for whatever liability. It's the company that, is the, is the relationship that you have with it. Sure. Yeah. So then for somebody who is maybe new to this, right, what are the, you know, cause it's like, okay, we can create a separate entity, but then it goes into the laundry list of LLCs and S corps and C corps and all the different parts and pieces, I guess, what are the, what's the brief rundown of each of those, you know, what, how are they different? How are they the same? Um, yeah. And then we could talk about maybe specific use cases. Of course. So there, in Colorado, there are 19 different entities we can file with the state of Colorado. You say nine? 19. 19, wow, okay. Most of them are partnerships of one sort or another and are okay. very specific use cases. Like a lot of them are specific types of partnerships for oil and gas that mm, we've developed. But the reason I say in Colorado is forming a company is state-based. So your Mm -hmm. state is going to pass laws that says, here's what entities we recognize. Um, And then you have the IRS on the other side with its tax election pieces. So your main ones, regardless of state, are corporation, LLC, and partnership. partnership slash sole proprietor. Right. Um, there are, you also have things like cooperatives, but again, that's not really most companies. Um, the main difference is the amount of liability 
and the ownership structure. Mm -hmm. So you choose an LLC or a corporation because those limit your liability. With a sole proprietorship or a partnership, a, a general partnership of any kind, that general partner or sole owner has 100% liability. Hmm. It's not a separation. It's all kind of commingled. Sure. Um, so lawyers almost always try to get you into something else. <laughs> Right. And so really what you do is you shift that liability from you as the individual or you as the owner to this this now brand new entity, right, that has right. been legally created. Um, and just for, you know, maybe this is overly complex, but just for somebody who, you know, liability, like, I think most of us have a vague idea, what does that mean? But like, from, I guess, the legal standpoint, what do you, when you say it shifts liability, what do you mean by liability? Liability is the idea that you, that the let me rephrase that. Liability is the legal term for damages, potential or actual, based on the actions being taken. So there is, quote unquote, legal liability for speeding. Mm -hmm. Right? That is my liability when I'm driving 50 in a 40. Right. Right. Of course, I would never do that, uh, you know, probably. <laughs> sure. um, but, you know, that's, that's your liability, right? It's, it's that risk that you're taking where you can get in trouble either from another person or from a government actor. Um, and so in a lot of ways, liability is amorphous, but a very mm -hmm. definite thing. Sure. It would blame. I mean, may, blame would might be the, the, I don't know, not quite, but. It's very similar because yeah. liability is the thing of, okay, I'm selling my widget and my widget cut somebody. There's mm -hmm. liability there. How much to what extent I have defenses, et cetera. There's this concept of liability. Yeah. Um, or if I'm a service provider and I'm building somebody's website and I use a picture that I think I have the right to, I potentially have liability of copyright infringement or something like that. So we use the word liability as that general catch-all term of the potential for punishment. Sure. That makes sense. Yeah. So then let's break down sort of the, the 101 of each of these. So sole proprietor and um, you know, general partnership, you mentioned, so you have liability. Any other differences? Like when should somebody think about um, those types of businesses instead of, say, an LLC or, or a, uh, another corporation? It's not really a business. Okay. I, I mean, I really, really want to be careful here because there have been uses, but with most state laws being so accommodating to creating a business, mm -hmm. for the most part, it's not a financial or legal burden on somebody to just create something. Sure. Uh, and so a lot of times when I see the sole proprietorship, I see it as um, artists or uh, photographers or 
just people who are doing personal service type things. Sure. Where that idea of liability is so hard to pin down of, oh, how is anybody going to ever sue me? And nobody's going to sue me. Well, that's typically when those come up. And Mm -hmm. then it becomes a nasty realization when something goes enough wrong. Sure. Um, Partnerships have a little bit more protection than a sole proprietor because we do encourage and create partnership agreements, which are just contracts between uh, the partners. Mm -hmm. So we can do some liability pieces there of, okay, well, it's Brian, Dave, and Lisa. If Dave's driving the truck and runs over a cat, it's David's liability. Sure, yeah. But that's the thing. And that's why we go into an LLC or a corporation or one of the variations of them. Because both of those take that idea of liability that's so amorphous and then moves it easily and puts it into that company. So in that case of Dave driving along, getting in a car accident, he, if he's an LLC owner and he's driving on LLC business, the LLC is the one assuming the risk of that accident. Gotcha. Um, but I mean, I mean, and that's a perfect transition because the LLC is basically additional liability protection on top of a partnership. It's the same concept is at any given time, 100% of the company's owned. The company is the one acting and the owners or employees are the ones acting through the company. And it is that sort of less formal, we don't need all of it, but we have rules and structures in place that create this protection for us. I don't want it to sound, you know, so easy to set up, but right, it's, right, right. It, it's the agreement of the members, what we're doing. We create sure. an operating agreement. We agree to these and it's, it, it is that first step in formality that gives you what you're looking for is the ability to do business without being worried that you're going to get a judgment against you in the realm of, having to sell your house. <laughs> right. So when, when you start to, you know, think about corporate formations, you know, especially for, you know, let's call them like solopreneurs, right? Like from whatever I, you know, grow food in my garden and sell at the farmer's market, you know, dog walker, photographer, like, you know, does forming a company, right? An LLC makes sense, you know, and at what point, right? If you do a thousand dollars a year in sales, like what, do you have any guidelines for like solopreneurs as they start to make that transition from, you know, true sole proprietor into like business owner? So part of it is it's going to depend so much on the particular business at hand, right? Because If that sole proprietor is a web developer, it's going to be more important to get an entity sooner than it would be for a dog walker. Because one, very few people are gonna hire 
just this random person who says they're a web developer. Mm-hmm. They want the professionalism and the expectation of a company. Um, part of it is the type of liability that we're talking about, right? If I'm uh, running a food cart, food poisoning happens, like, or somebody cuts their finger on the knife and now there's a workers' comp thing. I really need the liability protections of a company. Um, So the guideline is going to be, well, it depends on what you're doing and it depends on uh, how much risk you're taking on and what you're comfortable with. Gotcha. It also depends a little on age. And what I mean by that is a 16 year old dog walker we don't really care whether or not they have an entity. Right. Very few people are going to sue a 16-year-old for walking their dog too long and, you know, whatever. But a 30-year-old, we're going to be a little bit more hesitant of going, yeah, you can take my dog for a walk, probably because of the relationship piece. And again, you're looking at oh, I want to hire a service, so I want a company, Mm -hmm. right? So there's a little of the folly of youth being excused and the, this is a 30-year-old, they should know better kind of a thing. Gotcha. Which isn't really a guideline, it's just something I've noticed. (laughs) Interesting. Well, and I like what you said too is, you know, so there's obviously all the legal part of it, which we're digging into, but there's also just the, the, the perception, right? Uh, the professionalism of, you know, sending an invoice from, you know, accounting software or an email tied to an LLC or something sort of more official, right? When you fill out whatever it is, the W-9 forms and, and all that to, you know, list an LLC as an entity, um, in addition to the obvious legal protections, you know? So when you think about setting up and, and managing an LLC, and again, I'm going to just ask for costs and these are just super ballpark numbers, right? But I think it's the same kind of thing where if you're you know, making $1,000 a year, maybe it doesn't make sense. You're not doing that much work. Your liability is not that, you know, when is there a dollar figure? And I know a lot of it, you said, depends on the type. So I, I hear you on that, but is there a dollar figure where it starts to make sense from a, you know, a tax and a legal standpoint? So the cost is going to depend more on state than the type of business. Mm-hmm. So each state has its own filing fees. Um, so to register a Colorado business in Colorado is $50, regardless of if we do an LLC co-op corporation. If you're filing in Delaware, I want to say it's 400. It's been a while since okay. I looked it up. So don't quote me on that. Sure. Um, Florida is like 200. So state depends, state matters. And because I work so much in Colorado, to me, there's almost no excuse not to spend the $50 to get the LLC. Right. Um, Because the big cost of it is going to be your operating agreement, is your other documents around running the business, right? So you know, let's use that food cart example. It's going to cost you time and money to file with the health department, the time and money to set up the 
commissary, the time and money to do all of the food pieces. You need to have budgeted all of those in. And, you know, some of that's going to depend on state. Some of that's going to depend on particular county, you know. Sure, yeah, yeah. Blah, blah, blah. But you can't just start that business up and be okay. Right, right. But if you're a dog walker and you pay the 50 bucks and you go on to LegalZoom and get their template that's 50 or $100, you're talking about a total expenditure of about $150, $200. That is reasonable for most people. Sure. Um, when you're hiring a lawyer, it's more expensive. I write, you know, most of my operating agreements are under a thousand dollars, but I'm using hundreds of dollars there. Sure. Right. And so it then becomes more logical for someone making at least thousands of dollars to right. hire me. That makes so, sense. So let's talk, you know, I, I want to hit C Corps, but let's dig in a little bit on this operating agreement piece, right? Because there's nothing that stops anyone from going on, uh, you know, whatever state you're in, going on the secretary of state or whatever department happens to handle that and paying, you know, the small fee, you know, finding a name that's not used and registering your LLC, right? And so I think th these questions sort of re relate, like operating agreement, uh, and then also why would you, you know, pay Brian, right, to write it instead of just registering your own LLC, so the operating agreement, like I said, is the contract between the member or members and the company. And so we can put in a lot of different stuff, but the main things that it does is it creates the agreement around roles and duties, as well as planning for the future. Um, so when we talk corporations, it's a different structure because it's a different legal piece. But sure. with operating agreements, they're just, you know, contracts that cover, okay, which one of the members is talking to the IRS and the D Department of Revenue about taxes? Which one of us is in charge of the bank account? Um, what happens if that person can't do that anymore? Mm-hmm. What happens if you have multiple owners, one of them goes and partakes in illegal recreational drugs and then does something really public and stupid? Can we get rid of that person because they're harming the reputation of the company? What if we wanna add somebody in? Well, we may want to have some kind of plan in place over how to create a plan to bring somebody in. Sure. Um, it's the the operating agreement is the catch-all document among the owners that sets up management of the company right right and the reason you hire somebody is i just listed off three anecdotes about different situations where i've seen companies go bad or company ownership go bad. You know, everything from the person doing something stupid in public to somebody moving three states away and, you know, starting a different business. And so they want to get out of this one to 
somebody going, well, I want to go to culinary school. I want to, you know, get married. I, I'm getting a divorce. Sure. I, <laughs> I caught a disease and am now unable to work anymore because I'm disabled or dead. You know, I see these things and most people go, yeah, I'm starting a business. Right. <laughs> So if it's uh, if it's 100% owned by an individual, um, are operating agreements still important? Because a lot of stuff you talked about really was multiple owners, and you know if X happens to this person or Y happens to that person. So for um, you know entities who it's like okay, it's a food cart, but like it's my food cart, I own 100% of it. What uh, is operating agreements valuable? What what additional value do they add there? It- Again, it's primarily the planning around what could happen, right? So you're one person now. How do we bring in somebody else? Because now it's a day and a night shift owner. And how do we then have all the stuff in place? So part of it's that. Part of it is that emergency planning of, oh, no, something's gone wrong. And I'm specifically thinking here about uh Well, it's the death piece of the sudden unexpected death. Um, I've worked with numerous spouses trying to close single member LLCs, struggling for months to deal with the bank because the operating agreement either didn't exist or was written poorly. Gotcha. Like it is, it's the same thing as estate planning. The reason you have a will is because not because it's going to help you, but because it helps the family when you're not around anymore. That makes sense. Okay. So to recap kind of where we are. So there's, uh, you know, the, the, you know, single member or, uh, sorry, that's not, not the right word, but there's a sole proprietor and general partnerships. Um, generally, and again, this is very not legal advice, but just as a rule of thumb, like generally it makes sense if you're, I don't know, pick an arbitrary number, but if you're making more than three to $5,000 a year, it makes sense to at least investigate an LLC and say, look, it's probably worth the cost. And obviously the more it goes up from there, obviously the more liability you have as well. But um, that's really where it starts to make sense and say, okay, I need to form an LLC. And it sounds like almost any type of business could benefit, right. From having an LLC. It's not, you know, if you're in XYZ industry. Um, cause again, I get a lot of questions around this from, you know, uh, new entrepreneurs, solo entrepreneurs. And so the default would be if, if you think this will be any meaningful source of income for you, then an LLC should be at least investigated. Is that kind of what you would say? I forget the exact number, but I want to say something like 80% of new businesses formed in Colorado over the past decade have been LLCs. Okay. They are. And, and then for very good reason, because most people running a business just need the liability protection and the professionalism of something. Sure. And LLCs, let us start with one person really pretty easily. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely would agree with that summation. Um, I would also say that it's, you know, going to that number figure, that number figure matters. The other two factors that I would definitely want people to think about is their industry. 
-hmm. not because whether or not an LLC makes sense matters on their industry, but if their industry is landscaping, nobody's hiring someone that's not their neighbor's kid who doesn't have a business. Right. Right. So if your industry is one where somebody has to have a business, well, that's something you need to consider. Sure. And then the other part of that is your risks and liabilities, right? Right. Okay, we're doing landscaping. We're moving heavy rocks. We need the LLC. Sure. Somebody dropped something on their foot or whatever. So, and then not that you would ever want to do this, but can a sole proprietor, can that, can they, he, I don't even know how you say that, have employees? Or if you have ever want employees, you definitely need to be in an LLC. I would say if you have grown to the point that you have employees, you have revenue and industry enough that you should have an LLC or some other entity. Yeah. Um, Part of that is going to be, I don't know off the top of my head if you can get workers' comp insurance as a sole prop. Interesting. Okay. Um, So. Yeah. So you said costs. Uh, industry and what was the third thing that you should consider when risk term- risk okay risk cool and then operating agreements sort of that's sort of next level right so you can form the LLC you know you can use the legal zoom or whatever but to make it easy um, you know even if you're a hundred percent owned to make it easy on your family or whoever more of an estate plan operating agreement makes sense and then it certainly makes sense if you have multiple owners you're dividing up ownership in any way shape or form yes. Cool. So I think that covers, I mean, obviously we could rabbit hole down that quite a bit, but then, so next step is C-Corp, which, you know, most businesses aren't going to be, but can you give us sort of a rundown of like what those are, how those are different from the LLC structure? Yeah. So when we opened up with LLC, what I said is it's partnership with protections. A corporation is not, it's just it has basically no similarities with an LLC, except that it provides liability protection. Okay. So with a corporation, you have a very rigid hierarchy in the business. You have the shareholders who own it and they may or may not participate, but most of the time they don't, they're just owners. They elect a board of directors, which is three to however many people we've set for a particular company. Um, I think I've even seen some with two. You almost (laughs) never see one with one. So you always have to have a friend. Yeah, yeah. Um, Phone your friend. Um, And then officers. That's your president, your treasurer, and your secretary. Your president, your treasurer, and your secretary. And those are very specific roles. Your president is the one who is given the ability to sign and bind the company in a legal sense. They're the ones who can do the contracting. They can hire employees, they can buy things from the vendors, et cetera. Your treasurer is the one who is empowered to be on the bank account and to monitor funds. And your secretary is the one who sends notices to the shareholders and the directors about their meetings. 
what's on the agenda, how you can show up, what voting looks like, that kind of a thing. Um, and this is all structured through what are called bylaws. Bylaws right. are- It's kind of the equivalent of the company. operating agreement for a corporation, right? I mean- They're half of an operating agreement. So bylaws have no planning function. They only have structure function. Mm-hmm. So they will do things like term limits for board members. Uh, if there's rotating votes for seats, uh, what shares can vote on what items, uh, what types of shares exist. You know, I'll, I'll pick on Facebook just because I was recently looking at their SEC filing. By recently, I mean like three years ago. Sure. It's just memorable enough. Their bylaws have authorized them to issue 13 plus different classes of shares. Wow. That's what that the bylaws do. They talk ownership, meetings, voting, authority. And that's basically it. To get that planning function, the owners or the directors or whoever would have to set up something else for themselves. So that's where you get voting agreements, shareholder agreements, buy-sell agreements. Those are all your if I have to get divorced, I want my shares to go to them and not my spouse because reasons. Sure. Well, because my spouse doesn't want it or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So as you as you think about corporations then, so most small businesses are not going to be a corporation. What are the, I don't know, thresholds? I don't know what the right word would be. What When should, and obviously people who are probably getting close to corporation probably have their own business attorney and all that. So we don't need to go too deep into it. But when does a business kind of transition from an LLC into like a a proper corporation? There are really two phases of that. One kind of builds to the other. So it's more or less just one thing, which is how are you getting your money? That's the question. Because if you are looking to get outside money that isn't a loan, you want to be a corporation. So I'm talking angels, venture, uh, IPOs, stock exchange, anything where you're like, oh, that's how businesses raise money and become big. That's the entity that you need. So I've worked with some that have just literally opened the doors, but are planning this within the next year and a half to try to get investor money. And we throw them right into a corporation because while it has the more overbearing structure, the reason we do it is because with an LLC, I mentioned this, 100% of the company is owned at any given time. Mm. So you, Tyler, as the owner of Analytive, own all of Analytive. Sure. So for you to sell part of that company to get money in for Analytive to make it 10 states instead of however many it is now, all of them, um, <laughs> you personally have to sell part of your ownership. Gotcha. Which is a hard psychological thing, right? Because it's mine. Why am I selling it? You sell it. <laughs> With corporations, it's stock. 
we authorize millions of shares of stock at the beginning. Stock, the only time stock matters is if that's how you're taxed on your, in your state. Mm-hmm. So for example, Delaware taxes based on the par value of your stock. And that's either what you've listed in your uh, articles or what you are on the stock exchange. In Colorado, you're taxed on income. So it, that's really where that difference is. Um, okay. So for me, it is if you're looking to get money from investors gotcha. or the public at large. So I think probably the most relevant example is, you know, take a small company that wants to develop an app and they want to raise whatever, $200,000, like a seed round. Um, if they came to you and said, Brian, we need a, a, a structure, you would almost always put them in a C-Corp right away just for simplicity. You know, shares can move in and out. You can add new investors. All, you can add more shares. Um, so, because, and then to reiterate, it sounds like with an LLC, then the big difference is you have 100% ownership at all times. So you have to, you know, it's the pie, right? And to give someone else a slice, you have to take it from someone else, Um Typically, the way I describe that difference is uh, LLCs are pie, and we're just sharing the pie with whoever. And with corporations, it's a cake. And if we want to do more, we just put another layer on the cake. Gotcha. That makes sense. I like that analogy. Um, so yeah, so if you're if you're starting a business and thinking about raising any significant amount of money, then a C corp probably um, is the way to go there. So yes. cool. Uh, anything else you want to cover on those three? Because I want to transition maybe now into a bit more like trusts and different things related to that. The only other piece that I would say is S corps. Okay. There are two pieces to know about S corps. One is they are an IRS tax election which means it overlays your state entity. So you can be an S-Corp LLC or an S-Corp corporation, uh, co-op. Okay. Um, uh, and, and the reason I always bring that up and go, it's a tax election, is people come to me and go, I want to form an S-Corp. I'm like, would love to, can't. <laughs> Um, you form a traditional entity and then we layer the tax on top. Uh, ownership is the other part that gets fun with that. And the reason I say fun is it can actually hamper you, especially if you're looking for investment. Because an S-Corp limits you to 100 owners that are U.S. citizens, taxpayers, or certain exemptions. And each owner taxpayer has to have the same type of ownership. So you can't do multiple classes of stock. Gotcha. So it makes sense for small companies because it allows them both to get multiple owners, but also for tax purposes. But if you're looking for lots of investment, it may not make sense. And that's the limit of what I know on that. So I would say talk to an accountant. Gotcha. So, so, you know, talk to someone like Brian, right. To form the LLC. And then once it comes to figuring out how to get money 
uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is get money sort of out of the business or in a way that's most tax efficient. You can look at things like adding this this layer, right? This filter of S corp election on top of your LLC. And that would be more of a question for like a CPA or someone, you know, with tax experience then. Yeah. Uh, a lot of CPAs now are also acting as CFOs. Uh, so that would be the type of person I would be wanting to talk to on that. Awesome. Good. So, so for kind of the next phase is so People who are running a business who have, you know, specific ownership, either they own hundred percent of their LLC, you know, or they own a couple, you know, part of one, you know, so they got the business thing down, but then we move into sort of this trust and, and call it estate planning. I guess what's sort of the one Oh one, if you're a business owner, you own one, two, three businesses, you know, you own your house, right. A few different things. Like what should people be thinking about, right. As they either near retirement or just as a general legal practice about, you know, and I think the answer is trust, but I kind of want to leave it open-ended for you to fill that in. Again, man, that's such a hard question because the answer is it depends, right? Mm -hmm. So part of that answer is ownership in a company is personal property. Sure. So when and just talking- so I'm clear, that includes, we just talked about LLCs, right? So if you start an LLC for your food cart, right? And you own hundred percent of that LLC, the LLC exists apart, but your ownership in that is personal property. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Okay. Um, so what that means is under the estate laws, it passes as it would if it was a car. Sure. So if your company is, you know, let's say it supports you, but not really beyond that. You know, it's a $100,000 business. We keep 30,000 in it. You're paying yourself 70, that kind of a business. Sure. We may not want to do anything except pass it to your spouse so that they have the right to close the business. Sure. Right. And then that can get taken care of in a will or by beneficiary statement in the operating agreement of if I pass away, I want it to go to so-and-so. Sure. Um, so with, so there's that piece. Um, typically where we run into trusts is when we're not talking about modest wealth, but more money than I can spend in my lifetime wealth. Sure. It's a little rough of a statement there. Before the uh, recent tax piece with the Trump administration, the estate tax was set at 11 million, I think. Gotcha. So we're on, we're, we can do tax planning for estates below that, but you're really looking at an estate that's moving vast sums of money when we're talking about these things. Uh, the other situation that we really look at for trust is when we're owning property in other states. Okay. Um, because in essence, what we're doing there is trying to avoid complicated probate. Right. So, yeah, yeah, you go into court, right? Like to prove that you actually own the property and it's transferred. Well, so what happens with um, probate is you're, your estate is probated in the county where you pass away and where you live. So 
you know, Larimer County. If you own property in Wyoming, we then have to go open an extra case in that county where the property sits in Wyoming to say, he died in Colorado and this is his will and we can get it all moved. With a trust, that trust ownership tends, let me rephrase that. You have the beneficiary of the trust and you have the trustee who's making, uh, doing all the decisions, including dispersing. Because of that structure, it is not in your estate. And so at that point, we don't have to open another probate because it's owned by the trust and the trust is taking care of it. Gotcha. So I guess, so my understanding is, you know, a trust is a legal entity in a way similar to, you know, an LLC or something. It's kind of a separate, I don't know, person, right. Mm -hmm. that, that's created. Um, and so what are the advantages? Again, I know you said, okay, over 11 million under, I think the current tax, but what are the advantages of having a trust? So you listed one, which was, you know, property in multiple States. When should somebody think about, uh, you know, a trust? Is it only if my net worth is above 11 million or are there some other cases, uh, especially I think for business owners, right? Where that makes sense. It's your main use case outside of avoiding different types of probate is avoiding contested probates. So I have a friend of mine who does divorces and uh, probate administration and has talked about people spending hundreds of thousands of dollars arguing over grandma's teapot, which is 20 bucks down at Walmart. Right. Like if that's the situation, putting, creating one or more trusts can make that probate go smoother because it's all already apportioned and it's all dealt with. Um, so it, it's in part, it's a tough question to answer because part of it's going to depend on your family. Part of it's going to depend on what assets you have. Part of it's going to depend on how you want it to go afterwards and what your financial situation is now. So for a lot of business owners that I know, they own a house in the business and there's not much assets other than that. Mm -hmm. And so what we're looking at doing is just setting it up through probate because in Colorado, probate is not a nightmare. It's six to 12 months. It's, you know, it can be done really quickly. Sure. Or if it's a, a married individual, initially everything goes to the spouse. So we're less worried about what happens immediately. We're more worried about what happens if both spouses pass away at the same time. Gotcha. So part of it is I'm trying to avoid the answer because, uh, it's so, it's so specific. Yeah. <laughs> so in generally personal property then would go to the spouse, right? So if you own a business and you own hundred percent of an LLC, um, if you suddenly passed away and this kind of circles back to that operating agreement, that would go immediately, right? To the yeah. spouse. And then uh, he or if, she would be responsible for that. If we don't set, 
So the two big things with the operating agreement is one, if we don't set a death provision, it passes like probate. So it goes to your spouse. Okay. The other part is you have to be careful about where you get it and what your operating agreement says, because one of the, a, a number of times we've had the problem of someone's passed away. Suddenly we delve into the operating agreement and it says the LLC closes as soon as there are no more owners. Okay. Well, now we have to fight with the bank that, yes, there are no more owners, but you don't have to keep the money. You can transfer it to the spouse. Right. Crazy. To disperse to these other people, to pay off whatever. Uh, But yeah, most specifically, the kind of the hierarchy here or the speed of movement is we're looking at whether or not it should be a probated item. And by that, I mean, do we want it to be written by, by the will? And if we don't, how do we want to write transfer of ownership? Do we want to write it into the operating agreement where we go, okay, there's two owners. If one of them passes away, the other one has the right to buy it. Um, that kind of a thing. Or do we want it to pass to a child? Sure. So we want it to go specifically to my kid who's been learning how to chef right next to me the entire time, and they're going to take over his owner after me. So yeah. we're, you know, that's either in the operating agreement or in a trust, depending yeah. on the situation. And let me back up because I think maybe one thing I, I want to, I got a couple more questions I want to wrap on trust. But before we do that, maybe I should have let off with this question is like, what is, what is a trust? <laughs> like, you know, like we kind of talked about it's a legal entity, but like, how would you define it, Brian? So a trust is an estate document that acts as a taxable person. Got it. So it's not an entity in the same way that a business is. So you don't own shares of it or anything like that. You have somebody who makes it, somebody who runs it, and somebody who's the beneficiary of it. Um, And many states don't necessarily require us to file anything as a registration saying that this trust exists outside of a taxing situation. So you have to pay state and federal taxes on what the trust owns. Gotcha. Okay, cool. So then, you know, I want to, we'll transition into phase two here a little bit where we have some other questions, but one of the things that's been in the news lately is uh, like the Panama papers and, and you hear about, Oh, the ultra wealthy or corporations, you know, they're, they're doing all this fancy, you know, stuff or they're registered in South Dakota or they're in Ireland or they're in Panama or wherever. Can you, you know, for the layperson, right. Who this kind of makes no sense, you know, like what is the, like the, the underbelly of that a little bit, like how does that kind of work in, in the shell game? So I, I don't want to step on the journalist toes because to a degree, they're the ones who broke the story. They're the ones who really went into it and they deserve all of the credit and respect. Um, sure. Essentially what it is, is 
politicians, so for example, uh, the former prime minister, uh, chief of staff, his, he's a guy by the name of Keith, created these businesses and trusts where he then did money laundering and accepted bribes. Okay. Like that's, you know, literally what it is. So to answer what's the Panama Papers? Well, it is a journalistic endeavor proving financial corruption and bribery among the rich and wealthy. And the advice of, well, how does a small business get involved with it? The answer is probably don't. Don't, right. Sure. Um, the, the other part of it is the fallout from it. So the Panama Papers came out five years ago. We just had another uh, report, got a month or so ago that I forget what they're calling, talking about the ultra wealthy uh creating businesses and tax havens uh, where there is no income tax or there is no capital gains tax or whatever. Yeah. Can you talk about what that, that means? Because, you know, it's one thing to say, okay, they, they certainly acted unethically. They accepted bribes and, and did all this. And I, you know, I don't want to dig into that, but like, what is the, yeah, what are the legal vehicles or how does that sort of work on the legal side that allows them to, to shelter this? You just more as a thought exercise, I think, than anything. Well, and the answer is that it's going to change in about three months okay. uh, for U.S. citizens. So the answer is there are some there are some countries out there where they don't. Well, we don't even have to go to other countries. When you file with the Colorado Secretary of State, you file the name of your company that there is at least one owner, and then whoever's filing it signs their name. That person does not have to be the owner. In fact, frequently it's a lawyer or a uh, hired register agent or an accountant or just somebody else. And when we do that, the owner is obfuscated from public eye and public record. The reason we would create it in one of these other countries and to follow those other countries' laws in creating that company is because of tax benefit or because of bank regulations or whatever benefit for doing these dark money illegal activities is. Sure. Um, And the reason I say it's going to change is uh, January this year, uh, President Trump signed into law the uh, Corporate Transparency Act. The Corporate Transparency Act now requires a beneficial owner to register with uh, our dark money financial company, uh, a government agency, FinCEN. Mm-hmm. I forget exactly what it is. I should just look up because I opened their website. It is the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network. So it's an anti-money laundering piece where anyone who owns 25% or more has to, is going to need to register with FinCEN 
and say, I am a real person who is a citizen not doing crimes. Right. 25% um, of like a company yep. in that case? Yep. Gotcha. Okay. So essentially what the Panama Papers did was highlight the fact that we have allowed or encouraged bad actors to exist by not requiring people to prove who they are when they create a company. Right. So in other words, somebody could form a corporation and they could hire a, a sketchy law firm and, you know, wherever to sign up and say, look, here's, um, you know, dark money corporation. Uh, and then if you, you know, Google it, it's a PO box or, you know, you, it's PO yeah. box that sends to a lawyer. Right. And it's John Smith, you know, lawyer. Right. And so then you have all that shelter there. And then it's one of those where we talk about, you know, sequences of companies, right? So we formed one in Colorado to own a mansion. We then have a company in Canada that owns the company in Colorado, but that company in Canada also owns one in Nevada and one in Jamaica, you know, as many layers as possible to avoid proving who owns anything. Sure, yeah. And again, it's a little like cryptocurrency, right? Where the, the law and the concept around it was that it makes things better to not necessarily require a famous person to prove that they own such and such property. Mm -hmm. But it's also been used in illegal ways. Sure, it's been so abused. The, right. I mean, it's just like real currency, not much less crypto, right? Mm -hmm. How many movies do we watch of, well, put $100,000 in unmarked small bills in a briefcase sure. under here and we won't do this illegal activity. Right. Same kind of concept. Uh, yeah, I think that's the main thing is it's the ultra rich and wealthy not necessarily doing anything illegal in creating the companies, but using the companies for illegal purposes. Sure. And I think when we had talked about this previously, you mentioned, you know, again, just a, a fake example of, you know, uh, somebody in a Middle Eastern country, right, who, you know, it's illegal, you know, it might not be illegal to bribe them. So you can create, you know, a company in Panama that then owns a mansion in California, you know, and then like they can shift ownership of that company, which obviously then includes a mansion in California to that prince in, you know, some Middle Eastern country. And then that's, you know, uh, a bribe that's um, legal, maybe not legal, but at least hard to detect and right. not you know, not up and up for sure. Or not completely illegal, just mostly. Yeah, definitely the gray, the the dark gray area, probably. Yeah. Um, so it what I would generally say is taking it to our specific business owners that we work with, right? Is your name is currently not necessarily associated with your company. When we get to 2021 and these rules and regulations come out, financial crimes and the FBI and law enforcement can search this database to prove you own a company, et cetera. 
If you're not doing anything illegal, not a problem. The idea of owning multiple companies in and of itself isn't a problem. For example, I know several people who do things like over here, they're a landlord, but they also have another company where they do landscaping because mm -hmm. they have to get all the stuff for their landlording business. So may as well run a landscape thing because I'm bored otherwise. That is completely legitimate and it separates the liability so that, you know, your landscape rock on foot doesn't mean you need to sell your uh, property that you own as a landlord. Sure. And then maybe you put it into a third company that owns both of them for tax reasons. Mm -hmm. You know, this, this kind of thing helps and makes sense. Or another client I have has a patent and a trademark and some other intellectual property, and that's owned by one company that he owns and he's licensing the ability to create the actual product from the patent to another company that he owns that's getting the investment as a manufacturing company. Like there are legitimate reasons to own more than one company. So the advice is one, make sure you actually keep all of those literally separate. Right. <laughs> otherwise you're ruining the purpose of getting an entity. And as long as you're not, you know, committing crimes, you yeah. shouldn't worry about things. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. So well, good. Well, our hours, uh, our hours up. So let's go ahead and wrap here. Um, Brian, where can people, if they are like, Hey, I'm either in Colorado or maybe do some business in Colorado, or they just want to find out more about you, reach out, what would be the best places to, uh, to do that? Yeah. You can find me online at thatdamnlawyer.com. I also am on LinkedIn, uh, both under Hanning Law Limited and Brian Hanning. Uh, and then I have Hanning Law Limited on YouTube, where I post uh, videos about law and some presentations that I've done. Awesome. Cool. Well, guys, check it out. Brian's uh, awesome. Thank you, Brian, for spending some time with us and kind of breaking down this otherwise uh, you know, fairly complicated thing so that people know where to start. Absolutely. Absolutely.